I have a guest speaker this morning. I, I am so excited to, to get Jeffrey Dove here in Oklahoma City. About six years ago, he took this position. Just kind of want to give you a little background. About 28 plus years ago, um, had a couple come to our church, and I was introduced to them. I'd heard much about them. They were missionaries in Brazil, and of course, the Portuguese language is spoken there, and Brother Don Stamps felt a tremendous call upon his life that he would write study notes for the nationals that were there in Brazil, the men and women who felt called to the ministry, and they didn't have the scripture and especially didn't understand, so Don Stamps wrote the notes, and he felt a tremendous calling to that. He started doing that. It got to be such a powerful medium that our Assemblies of God and Zondervan got in involved with it and moved him to Oklahoma City at his cho choice of place to live so that he might quote, uh, give full time to the writing. Uh, he finished the New Testament and then Zondervan and the Assemblies of God said do the Old Testament. Took him years to do that. But he, we were privileged to have him here, he and his family, in this church for all those years. I said in the early service, I'll never forget the Sunday morning that I was introduced to Don. I'd heard about it, this Bible scholar guy, and, and he walked into the sanctuary, and, and one of the deacons came up to me and said, hey, that guy that's writing the Bible, he's here, and I like to fainted. <laughs> I thought, what am I going to say in front of someone like that? And it was real. Don was different. He, he, after the service, a gentleman introduced me to him. First thing Don said was this. He said, Preacher, you just got one decision to make between now and noon tomorrow. When I show up, that's where you're going to buy me a steak lunch. <laughs> just blunt like that. Yes, sir. He didn't say nice to meet you or anything. Just said that. Very driven man. His wife, we did her funeral here a year ago, just December, last month. And uh, Linda had in an accident lost her ring finger. Most of you know she had a... Uh, surgery done on it, and this lady, I, I made mention when I did her memorial service that how many people ever type the entire Bible, much less type it several times, and type all those footnotes in a Bible with a ring finger missing. These people were so dedicated to this Bible, it was a phenomenal thing. Why the Lord called both of them home, I do not know. I will tell you, I, I, could, I could talk about these folk a long time. I better get back to Jeffrey Dove. <laughs> this, this study Bible has now been uh, translated into 51 foreign languages. And I'm going to steal Jeff's thunder here. It's almost now 11 million that people like you and I have put across this globe. Almost 11 million Bibles in 51 languages that are given to people groups who have never heard the name of Jesus. We have missionaries there, and that's the thrust of what this ministry has been about. All these years. I am so honored to be a part of that ministry. Of all the preachers in the world that are smarter, maybe not better looking, but smarter, they got to come here. <laughs> and I, I thank God for the experience. And uh, I've married their babies and, and dedicated their grandchildren, and I thank God for them. But the Jeff comes representing that ministry. Uh, he's been a pastor here in the States for many years. He's been many years gone, I think 20 plus years to the call to the mission field. I'll let him tell you about that. And then he was given an assignment to be over the fire Bible and, and to get all the translations finished. 
and I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I met him about five years ago. I've asked him to tell you a story, and he'll do that. I guess you will, won't you, Jeffrey? <laughs> you will now. <laughs> he's uh, he's uh, just a good good man, the good spirit of the Lord in him, and uh, he's chosen, instead of uh, speaking up here, he wants to just be down on the floor this morning. Um, pray for his wife. She took a fall. They were uh, on vacation here as we few days ago and fell and not able to be with us today. And I, Jeffrey, I thank you for making the sacrifice for coming and being in Oklahoma City at Christ's Legacy. Ladies and gentlemen, a man with the good spirit of the Lord in him, will you welcome to our place speaker today, Reverend Jeffrey Dove. Hello, hello. <laughs> I got the power. <laughs> Can anyone say that? How many of you got the power? How many of you got money? No. <laughs> so he messed up, Pastor. Get another one in here. I am so, so thankful to be with you this morning. And I just, uh, I did first service standing up on, up on high here. And I thought I'd come down here and, and if I see him by sleeping, I'll come get you. <laughs> Pastor, was you really saved at five years of age is that story? That's true? then you're probably a lot like me. God saved you from alcoholism, drug addiction, rampant womanizing because he saved you at five years old before you could get it done. <laughs> I got saved at five years of age. remember kneeling on a tile floor in my daddy's house in 1261 Ringwald Drive. Me and my two brothers knelt against the couch there, and my daddy led us in a sinner's prayer. Now, how many of you know a five-year-old kid can be wicked at times, <laughs> but they don't know it yet. They're just acting out. But my daddy led me into the throne room of grace and prayed that prayer for me. And I have since thought, because as he's getting older, he's approaching 90 years of age now. He said, Jeff, I've never been anywhere, and I never did anything. Well, he says, I never did nothing. How many of you know when he took his three boys and knelt them down in the living room of his house? He was sowing seed for the kingdom of God. Amen? Thank God for family, for men and women of God who do what they're assigned to do in due season, if we don't stop, what will we do? We will reap a great harvest. We'll reap a great harvest. I, when, he, when he mentioned, just flip that out there, five years of age, my mind went all the way back, kneeling on that cold tile floor. I can almost remember it right now. And baptism, baptism was great. I just wanted to go swimming. It was the coolest pool I'd ever been in as a kid <laughs> at Bethel Temple Assembly of God. All we had was a hog trough at my church. So Daddy took us to the big church where we got baptized. And I'm so thankful that someone did that for me. What is missions all about anyway but someone going to tell those people who've never had a chance to hear for the very first time, especially in their own language, and in a way that they can understand. You know, it's not just language, it's culture as well. You have to be able to present Christ in such a way that culturally they'll understand the concepts of redemption and salvation and propitiation and redemption, all the words that we associate with, with Scripture. You've got to be able to explain that to the people in their own cultural understanding. Well, being culturized is not always fun. It's like being tenderized as a steak. They take out this little, this little square thing. How many of you ladies got one in your house? A little square, we call it a meat mallet. <laughs> and they just begin to pound on that steak. And I think of Barney and Andy going to the, going to the diner for some pounded steak. <laughs> well, that's what culturization does for our missionaries. 
I had the privilege of living in Laos and in Thailand for 20 years and running the missionaries in five countries in Southeast Asia. So I know a little bit about what it means by being hit by that meat, that meat club, if you will, so that you understand the culture that you live in. We don't have the right to share with them and just come into their context and say, we're better, we're redeemed, we're saved, we're American, we're OU fans. Can you say amen? <laughs> I just wish you'd get the S in the middle there, the Ohio State University. No, don't go there, don't go there. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, all right, all right, yeah. I got to tell you, I was rooting for OU, but I don't know what to say. But I'm telling you, we don't have the right to just go into their context without understanding their context. What did the Father do for us? He sent His Son, and He didn't send Him straight to the cross. What did He do? He sent Him as a baby, and He learned, and He grew, and He became like us, and He worked with His hands, and He walked with His feet, and He ate, and He, and he lived, and He slept, and, he, and all the stuff that we have to do, He did. And towards His last couple of years, then He had the right to break that authority and to give it out, give it to Him. My wife and I left for the mission field from Dayton, Ohio, where we grew up, and uh, we left in 1992, never had been anywhere. My family doesn't travel. I'm the weirdest duck in my family. We never did any. My dad came back from Korea in 1953, bought a little 1,027-square-foot ranch house, planted himself in it, and he's been there ever since. We don't go anywhere. I asked my daddy once, I said, where's, where's our people from? Are we Polish? Are we English? Are we German? What are we? He says, you know, last I heard, we came from Des Moines. I said, Dad, that's in America. He said, yeah, we're Americans. We have no clue where we came from. We don't go anywhere. We don't travel. I was the first to ever get a college degree. I was the first to ever go outside the country. I was the first to be a preacher. And so we've been breaking ground all this time. So when I got on the plane to go to the nation of Laos, it's called the Lao People's Democratic Republic. It's not the people's. It's not democratic. And it's certainly not a republic. It's a dirt poor communist nation that hates America, hates Christianity, and was not ready to welcome us to its shores. When I got on that plane to go for the very first time, that's the first time I'd ever left our country. Unless you count Canada and Kentucky as foreign countries. I hadn't been anywhere. I didn't know. I assumed that if God said go, that means he would go ahead of me and prepare the way. Can you say amen? If God asks you to do something, it's his responsibility to provide the empowerment and to provide the resource and to make it Work, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it. I love that song. It says, he walks with us, he helps us, he never leaves us alone. There's sometimes I wish he'd manifest a little quicker. <laughs> His timing is not always my timing. We walked into a place called Wienchan, Lao, the, the capital of the, the nation of Laos, and it was going to take us to the marketplace for the very first time. And we were hungry. We had just been all day long on a train, crossed the Mekong River in a dugout, got to the other side and drug those 11 suitcases and seven carry-ons and my wife's Mary Poppins purse. Anyone have a purse like that? You keep digging, you'll find whatever you need in that purse. Well, she has one. And we made it to there, dumped the kids off, dumped my wife off. I grabbed a translator because I can't even say hello in Lao, let alone talk about the unsearchable riches of Christ's grace. We go into the marketplace and we pass the eyeballs, the tails, the stomach, the tongue, all the good parts have already been cooked and taken. 
We had all the leftovers. You haven't lived until you've actually seen the pig head with the apple in its mouth, and people are buying it by the ear and by the eye. And I walk past her, and I'm just thinking, this is so strange. Let's just go to the grocery store. This is the grocery store. This is the best market in the best city of the country. I said, well, surely they have chickens. Do they have chickens in Laos? And we got chickens. So we went back to the chickens where they have gospel bird. It's what us preachers call it. And I'm, I'm looking for chicken. I'm thinking, you can take chicken. You can do anything with it. And I look back here, and here's five or six tables in the back of this room. And, and no one's on the floor. They're all sitting cross-legged up on the tables with their chickens. They've been defeathered, they've been deheaded, and, and they were laying there, and they all looked like they were chocolate chip chickens. They were just covered with black spots. No drip pans, no sprigs of sparsely, no plastic over the top, just naked chickens and people sitting on the table. So I start walking up to a table, and hopefully this guy's going to help me to converse, and this lady sees me coming, sees the light in her, coming in her eyes. She takes her meter-long stick and starts waving it over these chickens, and all them black spots were flies. Millions of flies. I looked at Michelle. My wife said, baby, we're going to die. <laughs> we're going to be on the front page of the evangel. <laughs> martyred by a nasty chicken in Laos. But then I got to thinking, you know, 400 degree peanut oil will kill just about any kind of germ there is if you leave it in there long enough. So I looked at them and all these chickens, all the same, about, about as big as my hand. Rock Cornish hands is what they look like. But that was full blown chicken for them. So I asked the guy translating for me, I said, can you ask me if they got any bigger chickens? He said, well, what do you mean? I said, bigger chickens, you know, more meat. I could eat three or four of these myself. He says, okay, I'll ask her. So he says, oh, somebody, and he said, hey, lady, is there any way we can get a bigger bodied chicken? Well, she'd never been asked that question in her whole life. People just bought what was in front of them. They're, you didn't ask for something else. You bought what was there. And she says, only bigger? And he said, yeah, just bigger. She says, okay, which means no problem. She untied that chicken's throat and went, and blew that thing up twice the size, tied its neck off and handed it to us and said, there you go. It's bigger. <laughs> the good news was same price. It's awesome. And they laughed and laughed at me. <laughs> and what I didn't know, that was a common practice to make your chickens look healthier, was they'd take a little bicycle pump or a balloon pump, and they'd pump them chickens up before they tied them off, put them on, but all the air had leaked out of her chickens before I got there. You say, Jeff, that's the weirdest Bible story I've ever heard. I want to tell you, it's not just language, although language is a big part of it. It's about understanding the people that you're presenting the Word of God to. They don't understand it the same way we do. That's why we've got the Fire Bible and all the languages that we've got. This is our newest one in English, by the way, in the English Standard Version. If you'd like to buy it, you can see me after service, and I'll sell it to you for a million dollars or whatever you can afford. They're great, but how many of you know most of the world does not speak English? They don't speak English, and even those that do... It's a second language or a third language or a trade language or what they're forced into doing. And as you preach to them, as you teach to them in another language, especially one where we're seen as from a dominant culture, we're probably still in the top three nations on the planet. They take that. As soon as you open your mouth and begin to speaking, they prejudge what you're saying because it's in English. 
And so you have to go back to saying, I want to be with them and know them and learn their language and learn their culture. And that's what we do with, with a beautiful notes that Don and Linda Stantz prepared for us. 77 articles in these, each one of these fire Bibles on faith and conduct and baptism and baptism in the Holy Spirit and stewardship and forgiveness and how to pray and how to, how to live for God, how to be free from the things that come on you, divine healing, all of the things we take for granted because pastor teaches us the word most of the world has never heard before. 77 articles. There's commentary on every page. Every book of the Bible has a unique, gifted, targeted description of what's in that book of the Bible, but it's built into their language and in their cultural understanding of what that means. Let me just give you a quick example of, of how that would look. If you go to the nation of Thailand, pastor's been to Thailand, Lord willing, and uh, United Airlines does what it says it's supposed to do, I'll be there Tuesday morning, your time, this next week. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly like I'm on an airplane across, that, across the turnpike back to Springfield, get on a plane and take off early, early tomorrow morning. God helping us, I'll be there. But if you go up to a Thai person in the street and say, do you know that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die for you? What their reaction would be? they say, well, that's stupid. What father would let his own son get killed for someone he doesn't know yet that's not part of his family? The whole concept of God giving his son that moves us and say, wow, we must really be worth something if he's willing to give his own son makes them rebel against God. If he was a good God, he wouldn't have had to die. If he was a good father, he wouldn't have gave him. If it's anything that's worthwhile, you take care of your own family first. How many of you know that's a real rock to get around when understanding about salvation. The Thai fire Bible in that language explains it to them in their cultural understanding how it was that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are all one and the same in the triune being and together they decided when the Bahra Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the void before the earth was even formed they knew at that moment that Christ was going to come and he was going to give his life a ransom for many. It wasn't that his father forced him to come. It says he chose to come and give his life for us. These kind of things are in the fire Bible. It's what missionaries do, but it's what the fire Bible does for us as well. You've helped us to do 50-some editions now. As pastor said, 51 languages. Uh, actually, if, to tell the truth, 52 are done now, but we haven't dedicated the 52nd, 52nd one. It's still sitting on my desk. We've just finished the Punjab language. How many of you know what Punjabi is? It's a, it's a dialect in India that 40-some million people speak it. They've never had a study Bible in their own language. Now they have one because of what we do together at churches just like this on Sunday mornings. Can you say amen? Amen. I got, I got a call this past week, Pastor, from, from a guy that was a hospital director. He's, he's a doctor too, but he's directing the whole hospital, chief of staff, if you will. And he called me. His name is Jim. He says, hey, you don't know me. My name's Jim, chief of staff at, at the Wachula Medical Center. And, and he says, We've, I've just retired, and the guy that's replacing me is a Punjabi speaker, and I've heard that you're going to do the language in Punjab. And I said, yeah, we've, we've actually got it finished. It's just coming out of the printers now. And he said, oh, I'd love to give him one. I've been witnessing to him, but he's not quite getting it. If I only had a fight. Now, we're talk talking the end of the world. We're talking middle Florida. 
But he says, if I only had a Bible in his language that had all those study notes, what a difference it would make. And I said, well, in about six months, the shipment will get across the Indian Ocean and through customs, and we'll get them here, and I'll make sure you get one. And I hung up the phone, and I looked, and I had one on my desk, and I said, how can I keep it here when it's immediately needed there? I gave it to my secretary. I said, the only one we got in the United States of America, but send it to Brother Jim. He's got someone that's waiting to hear just like the Ethiopian on the road when he was reading Isaiah and Brother Philip came out of the revival. He was waiting for someone to explain it to him. That's what the fire Bible does. We do it in the languages simply because it makes it easier for them to understand. You say, well, Jeff, wouldn't they just be able to go to Bible school? I hope you realize that out of the 205 or 215 nations of the world, fully over 100 languages, 100 nations still don't have their own Bible school. They don't have something where they can go and be trained in how to understand what it means to, to lead and guide a church. This fire Bible is so critically, critically important. Today is not only just fire Bible Sunday, it's also mission Sunday. The pastor in just a few moments is going to come and he's going to ask you to do something miraculous. He's going to ask you to operate in the realm of faith and to commit what you think you can do you and God together to move your missionary enterprise from this church, not just Fire Bible. I, I, that's, that's the ministry that I do, but we have, and I'm not going to put you on the spot, Pastor, but I know dozens of other missionaries from this church are being supported by what we do on a Sunday morning. And we're going to make a faith commitment over this next year. This is what I intend to do to keep our missionaries on the field, learning the culture, speaking to these people, helping them understand What's going on in the world? You say, Brother Jeff, how much, should I, how much should I give? How much should I do? That's between you and Jesus. But i got to tell you, it's, it's, I've been doing this all my life. I've been involved in this all my life. Since I was five years old, I've been given faith promises. I've been given my tithe. As soon as I get a birthday present, Daddy said, first 10% goes to God, son. I know, Dad. <laughs> Sometimes it gets a little wearisome for your old man to remind you, you give you five bucks, 50 cents goes to Jesus. Well, couldn't you just give me 550? Well, yeah, then it'd be 55. <laughs> I learned the lesson early on. <laughs> Ask big because you got to pay taxes, you got to pay tithes, and you got to give it to your wife, and then whatever you get left over, you do what you can. It's amazing I've got a good gun collection. <laughs> I don't know how that must have been a miracle. But, you know, I, I stopped being spiritual about this some time ago, and I just want to present it to you like this. Instead of, instead of trying to make this like some kind of spiritual, mystical thing where you bow your head and pray to God and say, Father, what would you have me to do this year? You know, I, maybe some of you here are like that, but I usually don't car shop that way. I don't sit in my living room, my home, and say, okay, now, Lord, guide my fingers on the Internet until I find the cat I mean, the car that I'm looking for, <laughs> until I find the right... Be you know, there's some things I just do because I want to. Anyone do anything because you want to? I go to Golden Corral. My wife hates it, but I go there because I want to. <laughs> I, I know what I want, and I know I'm going to get it, and I know if I work hard and I save hard and I bend my mind towards it, I'm going to get it. I'm an American that way. So what I'd like for us to see us do is for once turn that prayer around and begin to pray, Lord, 
I already know what you want. I know what you want. You want every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, every nation to hear in their own cultural understanding and in their own language from someone who loves them dearly what your gift of Jesus Christ means to them. I know what you want. And I know you were willing to pay the cost. And I know what it cost heaven. And I know what it's cost others. So, Lord, I'm going to bow my head and make a deal with you. This is what I'd like to do. This is what I would like to do in the vernacular of the day. This would be cool, God, if me and you could accomplish this thing together. Does that sound irreligious to you? Some of you are just like, Jeff, you are really weird. You've taken a total spiritual thing and turned it. No. It's, <laughs> I was sitting there thinking how much joy I get when my grandkids call me on the phone. They're old enough now, they call Poppy on the phone. I get FaceTimed all over the world in the middle of the night. What you doing, Poppy? I'm in Nepal. <laughs> Where's that? Well, it's like 10,000 miles away in 13 time zones. Okay. Well, guess what I did? And so I listened to them. This is what I did with my blocks, and this is what happened at school. And look at my crayon thing, and I'm just like, I really need to sleep. But what do you do when you're the father or the grandfather? You listen because the joy is in listening to your children as they talk to them. Um, how many of you ever had to deal with someone wet in the bed when you had kids or grandkids? Anyone deal with that? It's horrible. It's right up there with the sin of thumb-sucking. Bad habits, bad habits. We got a, one of our youngest ones has been struggling with wetting the bed. And so I told him, I said, you make up your mind. You want to do this? Poppy's with you, man. I'm with you. He says, I want to stay dry. Poppy, I want to stay dry. I said, you can stay dry. And furthermore, for every day you stay dry, I'm putting a dollar in your piggy bank. Wow. So for the last four days in a row, and it's been like 10 days total now, the last four days in a row, I get a phone call wherever I'm at in the world. Hey, Poppy, it's Ryder. I stayed dry. <laughs> How many of you know? <laughs> I'm just thrilled because he wants it and I want it, and it's my joy to help make it happen. If you want to be more spiritual than that, come with me to the Sea of Galilee. Pastor's been there several times, I'm sure. The Sea of Galilee can come up a storm very quickly. Here's the 12 disciples on this boat, and it's storming. It's late. It, the wind's blowing. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. He's just about to pass him by, and what does Peter do? Oh, Lord, what would you have me to do? And he says, no, he didn't. He says, Jesus, if this is really you, Call me to you because I want to walk with you on the water. I want to do something that's not possible. It's impossible. Jesus said, come on, come on, let's do it together. Got him out of the boat and he walked on water. Only two people in Scripture walked on water, Jesus and Peter, because he told him what he wanted to do. And God says, I'll supply it. According to your faith, be it unto you. So if you bow your heads today, and pastor comes, and he shares with us a little bit, according to your faith and your want to, <laughs> and your want to, God is going to help you. God's going to bless you. There was a little boy, again, in Wachula, Florida. I don't know why those two cities came up together today in my mind, but they did. Little boy, 11 years of age, in children's church. Some of you have been Christians all your life. Remember children's church. He was in there, and, and the guy was teaching about 
giving a faith promise. Instead of just taking an offering for Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge, he wanted them to make a, a promise and then work towards that promise to give something to God at the end of the year. So he said, just bow your heads and talk to God, and you'll know what to do. So this little shaver, 11 years old, came up, put his signed faith promise in the plate, and the children's pastor happened to be his daddy. He looked at it, and he thought, oh, i got to teach this kid. <laughs> he wrote on there $11,000. Stay with me. $11,000 is not a lot to some of you. That's a lot to an 11-year-old kid and a children's pastor <laughs> in middle Florida. So he sat his kid down that afternoon and began to speak anti-faith into him. And he said, son, what possessed you to write $11,000 on your faith promise? He said, you told us to pray. And I told God, I'm 11 years old, and wouldn't it be cool if I could do $1,000 for every year I've been alive? Now, if we use that math on some of you, man, we're going to float the kingdom today. <laughs> but 11, wouldn't that be cool, Dad? Wouldn't that be cool? And his old man was saying, yeah, it'd be cool, but it's $11,000. And he said, well, you told me. And he says, well, how are you going to get it, son? He said, you didn't tell me that was my job. You told me to exercise faith. So I did, and that's the figure, and so I wrote it down. Now it's God's job, and I'm here to help him. He says, so, okay, how's God going to do? He says, well, you only gave me one buddy barrel. How about giving me a box of barrels? <laughs> His dad says, what are you going to do? You fill them up one at a time, it's still the same. He says, just give me the barrels, Daddy. He gave him a box of 50 barrels, and he went out into the church he went to school. He gave one to his bus driver. He gave one to each one of the deacons. Gave one to all four grandparents, both sides of the family. How many of you know that's the font of all blessing right there is grandpa and grandma? He gave it to all of them. He gave it to the police chief. He had his daddy take him to the librarian, took him different places around the city. And he said, this is the little, little basket, little yellow basket. And you put change in it every month. And it shows how much you love Jesus. And they said, oh, okay, we, we can fill that little barrel. He says, oh, by the way, I'm going to come back once a month to see how much you love Jesus. <laughs> it's like spiritual extortion. <laughs> they took that. His daddy took him on the circuit. The kid prayed every day, God, bless my people. <laughs> bless my seed in, in, the, in the wording of Tulsa. Bless the seed that I've sown out there. May it come back. Five-fold, ten-fold, hundred-fold. Let it come back, Lord. And he began to count it. And they began to pile it up. They had to haul it in in a hand truck. It weighed so much. And change and dollar bills, because I mean, our grandparents don't give much change. We give the folding kind. Wheeled it in there, $17,000. <laughs> that little guy brought into the kingdom. We look at that and we say, man, 17000 They bowed their heads. They began to pray for the next year. How many of you know what his faith promise was? Bigger than the year before. You think God got smaller 365 days ago? <laughs> he made another pledge, 17000 He made it the second year. So i got to believe there's something in the heart of God that says, If you will, I will. If you're willing, I'm willing. If, you're, if you can get out of the boat, I'll put the firmness on the water so that you can walk. It's up to you. It's up to you. Some of you, that getting out of the boat experience might be $5. $5 a month to some of us is a huge sacrifice, and I understand that. I know where people live nowadays. Some of us, $1,000 a month is nothing. God could help us. 
So today, as you think through what you want to do for fire Bibles, we need them so bad around the world. God helping us, he's got to help us, Pastor, because I've spent us dry. I've used every bit of money that you've sent to me. I've put it into Bibles, and I got them out there. I told my guys, because when I took this job, they had money in the bank. I said, money's not going to stay there. They said, why not? I said, because we're getting Bibles done, getting them to the field. Those people didn't give us the money to keep it in the bank. They gave it to us to put Bibles on fields. And last year, we set a record for the number of languages that we finished and printed and dedicated. And this year, we're doubling that number. We're going to finish printing and distributing eight new languages of the Fire Bible. Can you say amen? Another one beyond that one, I I hesitate to even tell you what country it is because I, I think we're on video, and I'd rather not say it. But it's a country where it's not allowed to be. And if you get caught with it, you're going to be killed. We've already done the New Testament. As soon as we got it done, instead of waiting for the whole Bible, we did the New Testament. 10,000 have gone across that impermeable border and are already in the hands of people who are willing to risk their life just to own a New Testament fire Bible. How can I not want them to have the whole thing? (laughs) It's happening. It's happening right now. You can see some of these up front here. This is one of the newest ones we've done is Croatian. That was finished in September. This is Ilocano, just finished about three weeks ago in the city of Baguio, Philippines. We dedicated it for the Ilocano speakers in in Baguio City. This is the great fire Bible for the Chinese. Over three million were smuggled into the nation of China. And that's old news. The Chinese know about it. We know about it. Everybody knows about it. Now the Chinese are smuggling them out of China for Chinese ministries here in the U.S. Go figure that. It's also one of the most copycatted study Bibles in the history of the world. We estimate nearly 2 million more have been copy, uh, uh, just copied off of copiers. They bleach paper. They buy paper. Some of those fire Bibles are this thick because they're making them out of typing paper in China. Thank God for that. This one here is very close to my heart. Let me see. Here it is right here. This one here is in the nation, in the language of Iran. The place where we feel like right now, if you listen to our leaders, is our enemy. How many of you know it's the government and the top 3% that are not heads and all the rest are normal people that want freedom? (laughs) They want to be able to make their own choice. They want to be able to go their own direction. I don't know how much this gets to you or not, because you're not going to hear this on CNN or Fox News. The greatest movement forward of the house church movement on the planet of any country in the world is in the nation of Iran today. It's exploding across that country. The imams can't stop it. The ayatollahs can't stop it. God says, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and everybody is going to be filled with my spirit. It's going to happen. So we got a fire Bible ready. For those people in their own language. Can you say amen? Fire Bible is never intended to replace a missionary. Ever. It's a complimentary tool in their hand. National Church's hand. And in places where we can't get in. I encourage you today. Bow your head and say, Lord, this is what I did last year. But man, I'd really like to do something bigger this year. What do you think, Lord? Can you call me out of the boat? Can I do something big for you? Call me, Lord. Call me. Pastor, I don't know what time I'm supposed to quit. If I'm done by one, is that okay? <laughs> I put him on the spot. I love doing that. I was in a church down in, in Lakeland, Florida, and I'm sharing this whole thing about if I get my want to right, God will always have his resource for me. 
And I'm talking to them, and it's a hunting crowd. I don't mean to offend anyone here today, but when I have time, once in a while, I'll go out and do some shooting and things. And, and I, I told them, I said, you know, I, I'm, I've had my eye on a Brownie 300 Win Mag with a loophole scope, stainless steel barrel, uh, 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 synthetic stock. I don't have the money for it, but I got the want to. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm believing that I'm going to get that somewhere. And I know I'm, I'm not stupid. If I say it enough, my wife's going to pitch in. My daughter's going to pitch in. My son's going to pitch in. They're going to buy Poppy something for Father's Day. So, But I just felt led to say that on a Sunday morning. I said, I, I'm just, I know I'm going to get this because I want to. Because that's the way Americans do things. And in between the services, a man by the name of Gary Gunn came up to me, handed me an offering envelope, and I said, Sir, I, I prefer you put the offerings in the, in the offering so everything goes through the church. He said, No, there's no money in this. He said, The Lord told me to give this to you. And I thought, Well, that's, I've received statements of faith written on pieces of paper, and I thought that's what it was. And I looked at it, and he had written down all of the specifications of that rifle that I wanted. And he said, I'm sitting there on Sunday morning, and he says, I've heard all the missionaries that's come through this church for the last 20 years. And he said, you mentioned, you started going through the stats on that rifle, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. That gives me goosebumps just saying that. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. He says, Gary, that gun's in your gun case. <laughs> he wants it, and I want to give it to him. Will you obey? And he said, well, I guess. <laughs> so he came up, and he, he's got tears in his eyes, and he, he gave me his gun. Can you say amen? Some of you can. You say, what's the big deal about that? He said it was the same voice. When I was washing dishes one day, my wife had been in a terrible accident for eight years. She had been nothing, no voice, no comprehension, balled up, 24-hour care. He said, my bills had mounted to the place where they were totally out of control. Totally out of control. And I told God, I'm not going to bankrupt. I'm going to pay those people if I have to work at it the rest of my life. I'm over the sink. And the Lord says, I got this, son. I got this. You got the want to, right? I can do this. So he said, I thanked him for it in the name of Jesus. And the phone rang. I picked up the phone. Still on the landline, picked up the phone, and he said, I'm so-and-so from the Colby, Kansas Medical Center. He said, I told you, folks, I'm giving you everything. She said, settle down, sir, settle down. The board met last night, and we've forgiven $1.3 million of medical debts to you. And by the way, everything you've already sent us, we cut the check. We're sending it back to you. <laughs> he said, Jeffrey, I was sitting in the congregation, and it was the same voice that says, son, if you, if you trust me, I got this. I got this. I hope what I'm sharing with you is this. If we want to reach the whole world for Jesus Christ, and he wants to use us, nothing shall be impossible if we tell him what we'd like to do.